you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. We're also available for children's parties. Some of us. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. Presented by the United States Marine Corps. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined in a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. I do a, ch- I do a children's party. Multiple streams of income. I was just saying, in. legally, not everyone in the room can do it. Now, am I going to say who it is or who they are? I can't say anything else. Just let the, let the audience decide. Okay. Big show. It is. That's a cliffhanger, folks. At the end of this episode, you'll find out who is not legally allowed to attend a children's birthday party. Now, that's how you get into. That's how you hold people and bring them back. Why is your chair so high, Greg? One of the great (laughs) American long forms of all time is a Washington Post article about a clown who does Chris, who does children's shows. Ooh, it's really good. Long form. Interesting. Yeah. There's also John Wayne Gacy. Don't. Yeah, I wouldn't associate him with that clown. Yeah, different clown. All right. This is an odd start to the evening. Really jagged start. Hey, it's week 14, and we talked about it um, on Thursday's preview show that we had some A-plus games, an A-minus game. That's a Sunday night game we're going to talk about. We had a B-plus game, and then a bunch of eh, filler. But you know what? When it's July... And when you're watching preseason games and taking them too seriously, you're going to miss even these bad games, Greg, in the regular season. You're going to miss them. Right. But you'll, you'll, miss dying the, for you'll miss the bigger games more. I mean, this is what we've been building to. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so we have some games, you know, the complexion uh, of both the AFC and the NFC atop uh, those conferences shifted uh, with those big games, and it's getting interesting down in the wild card hunt. Greg, this is where you really shine. You're the uh, mm. you, you're our, our our conscience. You're our guide mathematically when it comes to uh, figuring out who's in, who's out, who's on the rise, who's struggling out. to see how conscience uh, plays a factor. <laughs> Two here. separate things. Yeah, math, All right. math prowess. Okay, so let us get into it, and let's start uh, with. Really, I got to say, in all my years at the NFL, one of the best games I ever watched in the newsroom, it occurred down in New Orleans. <laughs> the Superdome, to be exact. Richie James Jr. right. Garoppolo back. He throws out left. Caught. George Kittle down the sideline. 40. Runs by a man. Stiff arms a man. Still pushing out flag. Three flags come in. They may get George for a personal foul on the stiff arm. Marcus Williams face grabbed mask, his face, face mask. mask. Face That's going to be a penalty on wow. New Orleans. Wow. George Kittle went crazy on the play. Caught it. Ran down the sideline. Did he stiff arm? On a fourth down, they got the ball to Kittle on the outcut. Went down the side. Line, and it was Marcus Listen. Williams who gave up the Minneapolis miracle, who if may have just want. lost the game for the Saints. Greg, oh. Papa, Tim Ryan, 49ers Radio Network. Yes, Jimmy Garoppolo's clutch completion to George Kittle, who rumbles 39 yards, gets that penalty, the face mask on top of it, 
Marcus Williams, poor Marcus Williams, with the call leads to Robbie Gold's game-winning kick in an all-time classic at the Superdome. The Niners pull out a 48-46 win over the Saints, uh, a game that, as of when we're talking in this very moment, moves the Niners into the number one seed in the NFC. It knocks the Saints out. And um, this was just a classic, classic shootout. And sometimes, and I'll, I'm going to point to um, the Rams-Chiefs shootout last November. Um, sometimes when I watch these type of games where they're going back and forth on the field, uh, it starts to set a, a little exhaustion sets in. It feels like we're not even watching football anymore. It's like we're watching Bon Jovi's Arena League team or something. And it <laughs> kind of doesn't feel as good. R.I.P., by the way. Yeah. Yeah, 30 years. Great run. It's over now. Um <laughs> All right, and in this case, I didn't feel that way. This just, it was a great shootout, an epic shootout, and with the stakes, what they are, these are both teams that will be in the playoffs, um, but knowing how competitive the NFC is, how much was at stake, beautiful, and great quarterback performances on both sides of the ball. Just an excellent game, and I know you guys, um, I'm sure, kept an eye on this game. Uh, this was the game, obviously, that I drafted first overall. Um, if you didn't get a chance to really soak it in, uh, you have something to look forward to uh, tomorrow. It should be about 72 minutes long on Game Pass, so prepare yourself for that. <laughs> but it will be a fun 72 minutes. It was minutes. an awesome game. Uh, in fact, it's you know, the offense, this is a game, this is why football's funny slash stupid, is that everyone was talking about these two great defense. The Niners entered this game the number one defense in the league um, statistically, and you... And what do you expect? You expect some big stops. Instead, each team traded touchdowns throughout the first half. There was one punt in the middle, uh, but it was touchdown, 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 touchdown. And um, just an excellent game. And I I just want to focus first since the Niners won on Jimmy Garoppolo because he showed no fear in this game. This is the game where I've always been a fan of Garoppolo, but I always, you know, wondered if he's that next tier quarterback. He kind of had the, he's always had the look. He looks like, you know, we joke around about Drew Locke, but Garoppolo has always looked like a guy that's a superstar quarterback. Uh, He played like one. He's done it several times this season, but in this game with the stakes, he was fearless and um, right down to that fourth and two when he connected with George Kittle, who's just a tremendous player. So uh, the Niners with a huge win, 48-46. Whoa. The Niners are a team that have had throughout their history, you know, when we grew up watching the Montana and Steve Young Niners, so many indelible film clips and highlight reel images that you just would remember and are drenched in as a football fan forever. That George Kittle play has suddenly right up there smack dab at the top. I mean, that was one of the craziest, toughest, wildest displays of power I've seen from an offensive player. I mean, I think a lot of Saints fans are getting flashbacks to Vernon Davis and the play that... the 49ers former tight end made against the Saints to break their hearts mm. in the playoffs uh, earlier this decade and in, in one of the in one of the best games I'm so impressed that the 49ers can win this type of game I think it's a good sign for the Saints that that their passing game can be involved in a game like this where they're the ones throwing the ball and scoring touchdowns on their final two drives despite losing Jared Cook who's been so big for them had two touchdowns but leaves with an injury Yet, I think if you're looking at Alvin Kamara and the running game, that's the part of the Saints' offense that you're just trying to figure out why is this not working right now, especially in this matchup you thought it would work. Yeah, Kamara averaged less than two yards a carry. And, Wes, you've you've been on this, and I, I think— Killer fumble. Yeah, killer yeah. fumble. And 
you know, that does Breeze have the arm he used to have? Can he put the throws in the tight windows that he used to a couple years ago? Probably not. But when you watch this game, it just shows you he's still absolutely a star and a guy that can go punch to punch in a game. I don't think he's close to being a liability or anything like that with this team. And this was just a nice reminder of that. I thought he was excellent as well in this game. Yeah, at this stage of his career for these two quarterbacks, to combine for a 270.1 passer rating, the highest by a pair of quarterbacks mm. on 10 win teams since at least 1950. So they, I think that was also the most points ever by uh, two 10 win teams too. So they made they made history in this game, and I sensed all year long a lot of doubt about Jimmy Garoppolo. Through the early part of the season, I get it. They were, they were run game heavy. That was what they did. The defense carried it. Since midseason, he's had to move the chains by himself in that offense with a lot of injuries, and I think more often than not, he's come through. I think one thing that flipped the switch for them was trading for Emmanuel Sanders, who is versatile enough when Kyle Shanahan trusts him enough to have him throw a pass and throw a touchdown in this game, and that he has... This is someone who was rehabbing a bad injury all offseason. And to come back and look at the way he does, I just think that he is when good teams trade for players and it clicks. And we've seen that with the Baltimore Ravens this year with Marcus Peters. And it's happening right here with Emmanuel Sanders. It's a trade of the year. It's a trade of the year. I mean, what they I think they swapped middle to late round picks with Denver. With Sanders coming back, he's 32 years old. He had shown he looked really good before. They'll probably re-sign him too. So it like got right. the jump on that. They, he suffered the torrid Achilles last season, but was playing well before it happened. He he showed in September with Denver that he could still make plays. So it, you you wonder, and you know what other GMs are thinking right now? Wow, why didn't we be more aggressive with that? Including the Saints and Mickey Loomis. And I'll say this again to to credit of Breeze that Jared Cook goes out with a concussion after his second touchdown catch. Uh, and it was kind of more of the same. Ted, Ted Ginn made one big play down the sideline. Uh, but it was, you know, Michael Thomas pouring it into Michael Thomas over and over and over again. You just wonder, come playoff time, if someone figures out a way to slow down that Thomas the Breeze connection. And then it really puts the pressure uh, on Cook. Uh, but they could have used the second banana like Manny Sanders is my point. I'm just so impressed by the 49ers all season long, overcoming more injuries than any team out there. So many teams use injuries as an excuse. This has been one of the most injured teams in the NFL, full stop. In this game, too, they lost their center, Western Richburg. They lost D. Ford. They lost uh, Richard Sherman. Sherman at one point. They lost K1 Williams, another starting cornerback, and they find a way. Their two losses are at the very end of the game against the Ravens and Seahawks. They control home field advantage in the NFC. Now, we're taping this at an unfortunate time, but that game against the Seahawks is going to matter. Either way, though, now the 49ers know if they win out, they are the one seed. And I thought last year when the Saints lost at home, I thought, wow, you know, Drew Brees at 40, are they ever going to get a chance to have home field in New Orleans again? This might be it for them. They're back in position, but they have lost that control right now where they might be the two seed in the NFC. Let me give the final word to Richard Sherman, who... uh who after the game, uh, he's been kind of pounding the table in his media a lot this season after the game is about Jimmy Garoppolo, how much he believes in him. And here's what he had to say after Garoppolo's uh, brilliant performance. Um, Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo being clutched down the stretch, you know, this is a a big game and he played big time. You know, he played like the best quarterback in football today. He he beat a legend. Um, Beat a legend and the Niners, they are battle-tested before the playoffs begin, let's now move to another potential uh, playoff matchup. This one went down in Foxborough. 
Brady, a long count here, trying to give a hand signal to Edelman. Takes the snap, chief spring pressure. Left side throw, and it's broken up in the end zone! Broken up in the end zone! A quarter route to Edelman! Knocked down by Brashad Breland! Five yards deep in the end zone! The Chiefs hold on downs at the five-yard line! And defensive coordinator Steve Spagnola brought everything but the kitchen sink right there. Brady had to get rid of it, and just a great coverage play as you mentioned by Bashad Breeland. Mitch Holtis and Kendall Gammon of the Chiefs Radio Network with the call. Spag strikes again, Greg. The Chiefs needed. That's just a little in-joke between Greg and I. And our Sky Sports listeners, which we shared it with. <laughs> the Chiefs needed someone to step up and make it, make a play. Bashad Breeland was the man. He knocked Tom Brady's fourth down end zone pass away from Julian Edelman. The clinching play in Kansas City's huge 23-16 win over the Pats in Foxborough. It breaks New England's 21-game winning streak at Gillette. Whoa. Greg, gut check victory for the Chiefs and a potentially massive one with the playoffs approaching. Yeah, it's big. You could have this rematch again in the playoffs. Right now, they'd be the two and the three seeds. Right now, it'd be in Foxborough. The Bills will have something to say about whether, you know, the Chiefs have to go on the road, but it just strikes me how much these teams have changed since they played in the AFC Championship and the fact that they can win games, the Chiefs, that is, different types of ways with a very good pass defense and a very aggressive mindset where they blitzed Brady like crazy and they double teamed Edelman and the Patriots couldn't win enough one-on-one matchups to get it done. I just think this Chiefs team is so much more dangerous and the focus is going to be on everything that happened in the second half of this game. But I I go back to the first half and I think in the end, both defenses and their coordinators, I think, won most of the time. The Chiefs get two touchdowns on short fields. The Patriots difference did what they wanted. Mahomes beat the Patriots on a second 25 and a third and 19 with just sensational individual plays. He evaded the rush so well so many times, especially in that first half. The Patriots don't have that sort of game breaker. I mean, almost no one does at quarterback, but that ultimately was the difference is Mahomes can beat the perfect defense. I don't think Tom Brady can right now. The Patriots have always seemed like a team because their coach and their quarterback give them a couple of percentage points advantage every week over other teams that they rely on smoke and mirrors. And when you watch this offense, it seems like more smoke, more mirrors. They need a trick play to move the ball. They're throwing to Matt Lacoste with the game on the line in the end zone. I just don't think the Patriots have been impressive in any game since October. Offensively, that's true. They're an average to below average. I mean, the whole team combined, you take them as as an entity, I have not been impressed with them in – since before Halloween. Well, I mean, it's meeting out in the sense that you've lost to Baltimore decisively. You've lost to Houston. You've now lost to Kansas City. Wes is putting out the alarm bells that Cincinnati will take out New England potentially next week. That would be a free fall. It's definitely a different Patriots team. and You know, we've been over it so much. They... They do have something about them in terms of the coaching staff and Brady just mentally that, look, they made adjustments in this game. What they did in terms of taking away the deep pass, they they totally stuffed Kansas City in the second half. They get a big special teams play. And more importantly, offensively, you know, they started doing these outside runs. They also put Edelman on the outside. Tony Romo is so good at recognizing the changes that they make. And they still found ways to get the ball inside the 10-yard line, you know, at the end of the game, and it's down to one play despite 
having a kick being blocked, despite having some calls, you know, definitely go against you. They do that, and that gives you some confidence that maybe they can figure things out later. But it, when you just watch them against the best teams, they don't stack up. They're not in that same tier. They're going to need like an outstanding coaching job in a different offense to I, compete in the playoffs. I hear you about not harping too much on what happened in the second half of this game, but there were some insane official moments right this. I, I mean and that in Patriots fans and it's not easy to you know back them as a group all the time but they have a right to be uh, peaked and annoyed by what happened with the with the officials I kill Harry had a, a touchdown taken away they said he stepped out of bounds short of the goal line but a replay showed clearly he had made it in and because it wasn't ruled a touchdown it needed to be challenged but the Patriots were out of challenged challenges so they got screwed and then Jacoby Myers has a chance to uh, erase that mistake by officials and he drops the ball in the end zone. Right. Uh, so the, they get a bad break, the Pats, and then they don't help themselves out. And because the margin of error seems so small with this offense, those type of um, for you know bad a bad break with the officiating and then a failure to take care of your own business with the drop, those things come back to haunt you because they don't seem to have very many opportunities right. the way this team and well, offense is built. Jacoby Myers' drop was huge, and fans that want to get upset about the officials, they should. I mean, they were, it was not just you know, the one touchdown being taken away. They also had the whistle blown on Stefan Gilmore. Stop blowing the whistle. And that stuff happens too much in, in the NFL. Wait, it's crazy. Here's the one thing, the only thing that really bothered me about the officiating, because those things happen, it's like sometimes it goes for you, sometimes it doesn't. Like, make the play. They, they didn't make a million different plays. The problem to me is in the rules, in that the Patriots had to challenge to change that Stefan Gilmore play to a turnover because they messed it up in two ways. Not only did they blow the whistle and stop Gilmore from scoring, but they also also didn't even blew, blow a, a fumble in the first place. So the Patriots got that challenge right so that they could get the ball, and that was why they were out of challenges because they had gotten their first challenge wrong. Belichick is among the coaches. I, it's been brought up a few times that you should be able to keep the, your challenges if you should keep your second challenge if you get it, it like right. like a simple fix. You it, shouldn't have to go two well, for two it, to it, get a third. Right. And before the owners' meetings every year, you get that list of uh, potential rule changes suggested by teams. And the Patriots always have a massive laundry list. This feels right. ripe for that. That was, I, th- I honestly think Belichick has suggested it before. Different people have. I don't know why they're so afraid of like giving an extra challenge if you get one right. But... In terms of like what they didn't do well, a three-play sweet sequence in the first half really stuck out to me, where they needed to score, and they're trying to stay. They're up seven-three actually at the time. Philip Dorsett doesn't recognize a blitz, doesn't turn around. The blitz was getting home all day. Brady throws it to nowhere. The next third down, Brady makes a good throw. Jacoby Myers just drops it. He's kind of been killing them. The Patriots then choose not to take a forty-five-yard field goal. I know you noticed. I did not like that. It, because their kicking situation has been so bad and folk had uh, you know gotten blocked and it was fourth and seven. And then Brady misses a throw on fourth and seven where, again, the pressure got home. But in previous years, he had Elderman open on that play. I think he would have maybe stepped into that throw and made a tough throw. So it's like it's never just one thing, but it's a lot of things. By the way, the Chiefs clinched the AFC West mm. uh, with the win because the Raiders are in a free fall. Uh, they're nine and four and... Uh, yes, they obviously now have the head-to-head tiebreaker on the Pats, uh, and they're one game out. So we'll see. The Pats still, you know, control their destiny in terms of staying ahead of Kansas City, but it's not going to be easy because it was. It's just not easy for the Patriots anymore. Not- I think people make a big are making a huge deal that they need the trick plays and all this stuff, but you know what? It's true. And Brady, when the blitz does come, he just seems helpless. 
Well, we've learned not to make any grand sweeping conclusions about what will happen in January when the Patriots go through these late season funks. Right. This is not the first time in November and December that we've seen an aging Tom Brady look less than we expected him to, and then he turns it on in January. I'm not writing them off. I'm just saying everything I've seen for the past month and a half, this team just isn't very good. And the AFC East is up for grabs. The Bills-Patriots game in week 16, if the if the Bills can get there having won next week, uh, it could be for the division, which is, which is pretty exciting. And I think the pa- Patriots fans and the Patriots should welcome that because they need to get a win against the quality team here down the stretch. Speaking of the Buffalo Bills. Fourth down and eight. Josh Allen out of the shotgun. Devin Singletary with him in the backfield. Raven show blitz. Here comes Earl Thomas off the edge. Singletary's pass over the middle. It is incomplete. No flag on the play. Marcus Peters with the play. And with 103 left in Buffalo, the haze in the barn. Haze in the barn, Jerry Sandusky says. W-B-A-L. Yes, facing fourth and eight at the Baltimore 16. Josh Allen's pass intended for John Brown broken up by Marcus Peters, who celebrated by jumping into the stands and chugging a beer. Uh, the Ravens beat the Bills 24-17. That's nine wins in a row. For Baltimore. Mark, this game is pretty much the opposite of what we saw at the Superdome today. Absolutely. And it's I you could look at both of these teams and I do coming out of this game as having Super Bowl worthy defenses. I it's it yes, the Ravens do what the Ravens do, and they you put them in any stadium, they're gonna grit it out and find a way to win, and they've done that again. I thought Buffalo's Ability, it, the, what they showed against Lamar Jackson in this it, insane Ravens offense was admirable today. The problem with Buffalo, and we've pointed this out, you know, all year long, is that if they do give up more than twenty something points, too often you cannot, you cannot really convince yourself that they're going to be have, find ways and have the weapons to hang around. And this was a game where Josh Allen faced so much intense pressure and heat from Baltimore's front seven that has become absolutely dangerous at this point. That it, it, you, you saw some of the quintessential bad Josh Allen throws early on. And it's not just because he's inaccurate. It's because he had people in his face all day long. They had 13 drives, the Bills, for 209 yards. One yeah. 3.1 yards per play. And there were multiple, multiple marches where it was three and out. And it was, you just did not, you could not find a way that Buffalo was going to score in this game. And the, the Ravens lost Mark Andrews, their playmaking tight end. And they never really, I thought, found a way to get out of that situation. He's so important to them. I think that game, this game magnified how important he is. Hayden Hurst had a, one of his rare big play scores today. But you take that away, this game would have been, I think, a really rough ask for Baltimore because Buffalo mm. fought and fought in the second half. When you watch in that second half, they have nothing on offense. And it's like, you know, Devin Singletary does something really nice for you, but then it's taken back by penalty. And then Josh Allen, you know, he's not, no interceptions, so he's not turning the ball over. But you can't count on him to make those window throws that you need. And that coverage by Marcus Peters at the end, if we want to, want to talk about Prashad Breland, like he had one of the, he, him on John Brown is one of the great cornerback efforts today I've seen. Mm. Um, and with on the Bills end, and no one's going to take anything away from the nine and three start, or that they went to Dallas um, and won on Thanksgiving. But this did feel like another chance for the Bills to you know put a big stamp on the season, and say not only are we a team that's going to the playoffs, we're a team that you better watch out because we you know we might win some games and make a run. They almost beat the Patriots in their building. Now they almost beat the Ravens. So I think as much as it might annoy fans in Western New York. 
you do have to figure out how to win a game like this to really get people to believe. Yeah, and who knows what beating the Cowboys uh, means now or what it will mean in a month. Although, I just keeping it close against the Ra- I'm so impressed with the Ravens in general that to me, <laughs> you know, getting it to a point where it comes down to the last play, to me, is a step forward and, and a sign they're playing better than they did early in the season. Here are the records of the last seven teams that the Ravens have beat. 9-4, and 11-2, 7-5, and 8-5, 1-12. 10 and 3 and then a 10 win Seahawks team. So they are they're winning all these games against like great teams and I guess the last 2 weeks have shown you can hold their offense down in some rough weather conditions. I mean they didn't exactly, you know, rack up yardage in either of those games and those games came down to the wire, but I don't know. I mean it's about as good a regular season as you can have with two losses. I think we all kind of looked at the Bills schedule a few weeks ago and said even if we we respect them, that lead in the wild card race is going to dwindle when they play these tougher teams. And now you look up, Titans and Steelers are only one game behind them, and the Bills have to go into Pittsburgh next week. Big game. A team that is rolling and a defense, which I believe is better than Buffalo's. Same kind of quarterback issues. You don't trust the quarterback from week to week on either team. And in prime wanna, time. In prime time on yeah, NBC. Right. And if you want to like um, try to imagine or picture a way that Buffalo wins a playoff game and caps this awesome regular season, it has to happen in Buffalo. Hmm. And to Allen's credit, although he had a tough game and ooh, he was in the Luke Fox zone today, 3.7 <laughs> yards they couldn't get anything per attempt, um, he did ball out with millions and millions of people watching on Thanksgiving. So I think he could step up in prime time, but that's another big test for him and that entire Bills team. A couple of fumbles from him, including you know a key loss fumble. He'll do that. And that's, I think, why they're afraid of him you know, running around so much. Uh, I think the number was one for 11 on throws over 15 yards, one for 16 when under duress. So the, the Ravens won up front and Allen clearly didn't. Yeah, have four answer. for 17 on third down and it looked that way. And yes, the lost fumble was, I I just think that the he, he was hurt at one point. He hurt his ankle and he was hobbling around. He wasn't the same guy. You take that punishment over and over, they're going to get you. Amazing, 257 yards for the Ravens. All right, let us now stay in the AFC uh, playoff chase with a game with huge wild card and division ramifications. Tannehill works under center. Two receivers to the left. Crowd gets loud. Play fake. Tannehill looking, throwing deep down the middle, going for Brown. Brown's got it at the 50. Breaks the tackle to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. Ladies and gentlemen, that is 91 yards. Touchdown, (laughs) Titans. Their longest touchdown pass in over five years. Oh, that was so great, and it happened here. That came straight out of the black hole right down to the other end. Mike Keith and Dave McGinnis with the call. Titans are... You know what to do, Ricky. Bring me the girl. Conklin's out from the trees. Oh, whoa. Now you got to check out the YouTube show. (laughs) What are we wearing? I don't know. I'm looking svelte. I like it. The resurgent Titans keep surging. Ryan Tannehill threw for 391 yards, three scores. Derrick Henry, two more touchdowns. He goes over 100 yards. He cannot be contained. And he made it look easy, even with his leg taped up. The Titans, four straight wins now. Beat up the Oakland Raiders. You know, put the Raiders under the ground. 42-21 to at the black hole. And... Uh, the Titans, you know, it started out not so hot 
they there was a deflected interception, big man run back for the Raiders. They punch it in, touchdown. Uh, but from that point on, it's seven nothing. Titans just took over the game, and and Oakland, who was undermanned and didn't have Josh Jacobs, which. Damn it, that's on me for not tracking that closely enough because I locked up the Raiders. That didn't work out. Um, but they were, you know, to their credit, Oakland kept pace and it was 21-21 at the half. Uh, and then the Titans just took over. Um, they scored touchdowns on five of their next seven possessions after that open, opening Raiders score. And uh, they are 6-1 and one with Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback and Wes. Uh, Reports started percolating over the weekend that the Titans might be looking to do business uh, with Ryan Tannehill, whose due can be franchised at the quarterback rate of $27 million, uh, but they might want to get into business in a long-term way. And the way he's playing, this doesn't feel unsustainable. It feels like he has found a home here. Well, that team that nobody wanted to watch with Marcus Mariota, the team that couldn't move the chains, couldn't keep their quarterback uh, upright and off the ground. The Titans Is now a high-octane, 30-point-a-week attack that have 500 yards by the end of the third quarter in today's <sighs> game. And comeback player of the year, I wrote about it a couple weeks ago. I did not include Tannehill because you're checking some boxes and I'm looking at players coming back from sure. major injury or, or some kind of life event. And I think that award, it's not. there's no real definition for it. It's no sort rules. of like the threshold for obscenity by... Um, Potter Stewart, Judge Potter Stewart. I know it when I see it. You know a comeback story when you see it. Ryan Tannehill was given up for dead by the Dolphins and given away to mm-hmm. the Titans. Comes off to the bench and because of him, completely turned the team around. That's a comeback player. This is one year. of the great comeback stories of the decade. I agree. Tannehill was just the guy when he was signed as a backup quarterback. I think everybody was like, oh, that was pretty good signing. That gives him a choice if Mariota struggles again. But nobody, nobody thought he would take over the offense and then turn it into one of the more lethal attacks in the AFC. Nine for him. Look at Arthur Smith vying for coordinator. (laughs) RD. I mean, the the games with Mariota, yeah, the games with Mariota still count against your record. But 9.4 yards per attempt. The Raiders defense... It just they hadn't, they never had a chance this year. I don't believe they never they ever really had a chance because Neither I think I. they were ranked in my mind either thirtieth, thirty first, thirty second in talent on defense, and they were always just trying to scheme around that and figure it out. And they did a pretty good job getting a six and seven, and maybe they'll get to eight and eight. But it's like they were never going to be explosive enough to keep up with this defense. Who's better at football, the New England Patriots or the Tennessee Titans, as we stand right now? I think if it was a so neutral field right now, the like where we are, are right now, I think it was a neutral field. Titans might be favored. They're playing so well. They're playing it's, so they, well. They don't right need now. to score this many points every week either because their defense is legit. So it's like they're a balanced team and they're getting hot at the exact and, right time. Well, yeah. the crazy thing is Tannehill only every week he only throws it like twenty-seven this week. That's a lot of throws for Tannehill. Usually he doesn't even have to. Now they the win moves them into a first place tie with the Texans, and now it gets interesting. Oh yeah, uh, because they play twice in the final three weeks, which is wild. I don't love the scheduling to pack them together like no, that, it's but stupid. you know what? Uh, it is what it is. So let's just ride with it and and enjoy the carnage because uh, that is going to. I mean, we could see both of these teams in the playoffs, or. One of these teams could absolutely take out uh, an arch rival in the biggest way in the final three weeks of the year. It's, it's nail-biting time in Houston, and we're going to get to the Texans. But, I mean, where we stand right now, who's the better team, the, the Titans or the Texans, uh, after what we saw today? 
One team's more consistent than the other. Well, that's, that's for sure. sure. The Titans show up every week. The difference is that the Texans are going to have the tiebreaker if they split and if their other game goes the Texans' way because the Titans have an extra division loss. Uh, so they you know, they would win on that tiebreaker. The Texans play at Tampa in week, week 16. That is their extra game, whereas the Titans uh, play they host against the, the Saints. Saints. So who knows? I mean, anything could happen, but it's still an uphill battle for the Titans. They might need to sweep it to, to get the division. And hopefully Derrick Henry's okay. He had a leg injury. Um, he left the game briefly, and like I said, he had his leg taped up. I think it was a hamstring. They were two and four. Um, and he just and boring and bad. Henry Henry just made it look easy. I mean, he didn't. It didn't even seem like he was trying that hard. Obviously, he he's was. In the groove. And he just went over a hundred, scored two more touchdowns. It's it's he's having a special special. You know, game. one other thing that Marcus Mariota could not have pulled off today was the insane Ryan Tannehill darting down the field to blow up Maurice Hurst. Nice. That was awesome. That One of the best hit. tackles I've seen in the entire year coming from a quarterback. He's a great tackling quarterback. I that was like He's a, up there with Andrew an Luck. old Twitter joke of mine back in like 2014 when he just was throwing pick after pick. By the way, look out. Derrick Henry, I don't know if this is updated. He is just behind Christian McCaffrey uh, at number 3. Mm. Um he he has he could win the rushing title. Not and this is not you know an attack on you at all, Dan, which is a bad way to preface anything. <laughs> yeah, but there is a well. trend right now of like guys who leave Adam Gase and are playing playing better without him, and especially at the quarterback position, I think that's you know that's significant. Uh, yeah, sure. I I will say that that Tanhill did. It's not about you. Oh, no, it's no, just about that. Look, he's playing well, a lot better. It's not about me. Gase. Don't yeah. preface it by mentioning me. That's fair. Ryan Tannehill did look really good with Adam Gase, and then he blew out his knee, and things got yeah. a little wonky. I, I, had some had some moments. So, but whatever. I'm I attempted that Gase. same point with Dan on the Thursday show, and it didn't <laughs> go well. So was. I wasn't going to go back uh, down. Yeah, there. Well, if you guys want to bring it up every week, it's uh, he's not like my uncle. It's not like it, it hurts me. He's just I, the coach that will be fired before long. <laughs> just another Jets coach. I am under the, the assumption that any Jets talk is personal. <laughs> he's grist <laughs> yeah. for the assumption. I mean, I don't take it worked. personally in this case. I mean, that's it's undeniable that Dolphins players have done well without Mr. Gase. All right. Let's now talk about the Houston Texans. My goodness. Denver looks like they rush three. They will. Watson quick for a inside pass. Caught Kiki QT again, but he fumbled the football and is picked up by Jeremiah Tashu, who hands it to Kareem Jackson. Jackson's on the loose. Jackson with the foot race, and here we go. 40, 35, 30, down the Broncos' sideline. 20, 15, 10, high-stepping into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. No whistle. No flags. If it stands, it would be the Broncos' first defensive touchdown of the year. It did stand. Dave Logan, Broncos Radio Network. My goodness. Kareem Jackson had an interception, returned to fumble 70 yards, touchdown against his old team. And Drew Locke, the kid, grow that beard. Doesn't matter. More important that you're playing well. (laughs) Threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, all three of those scores in the first half. The Broncos blow the doors off the Texans. Don't even pay attention to the 38-24 final score. This game was 31-3 at the half. Greg, after the game, Von Miller said this of his rookie rookie quarterback. (laughs) Incredible. That guy's an effing rock star. Do the Broncos have something here? I hope so. It'll make them more watchable. I don't take Von Miller's um, <laughs> hype like too seriously because he did call both Paxton Lynch 
and uh, <laughs> Trevor Simeon, the next t- Peyton Manning, I believe. But did he call him effing rock star? No. I love Von Miller. I, I love count. hearing about Von Miller. He's playing on a bum knee, by the way, today. He had to play on the opposite side of the field because he can only rush in one way. Wow. He had to do it against Tunsil. That's tough. And he still got a couple quarterback hits. He, they said after the Vikings game, and I know I wasn't planning to start with this, but I love Von Miller. After the Vikings game, that terrible loss that he had, he went up and down on the plane and told – invited everyone out to dinner that night and they went out that night like trying to fire everyone up after the worst loss of the year and this team plays like a team that's still in the mix like they're if you want to judge your coaches by how hard your team plays the Broncos show up each and every week they're very unlucky to be only five and eight and they are the NFL's berserker you don't want to play them in December this is exactly exactly how John Elway uh, and Vic Fangio wanted this season to close. Once you realize that you weren't going to make the playoffs, forget about tanking and, and hoping you find the next quarterback. Get Put something on tape that you feel good about and that you feel like you figured some things out and you're not on the wrong. It's not just all about being on the wrong side of field goal luck at the end of the games. They are a team that's making progress, Wes, as the, game, as the season goes along, and it is a credit to the players and the coach. They've unearthed some absolute stars on this team. Justin Simmons at safety is having an all-pro year. Alexander Johnson at linebacker has come out of nowhere to make a pretty big all-pro bid. They're turning oh. their defense around. Cortland Sutton has been a find, and now Drew Locke is the X-Factor if He's really this good. Right. We'll see. The X factor, yes. The next three weeks for the Broncos and then the offseason is all about just trying to find out about Locke. Now, he didn't have to do too much last week. This week, he made a handful of nice throws against pressure early in the game. Absolutely. Didn't have to do much in the second half. That, that's fine. I also give their, their coaching staff and, and my guy, Rich Scangarello. Skangs. Who, uh, Skango. I, Papa I, kinda, Skango. I was like, this guy's not giving them a big advantage, like open plays. That, that was the opposite today. Uh, there were a lot of open receivers. Noah Fant made some big plays, four for 113 before he got hurt uh, in a touchdown, caught all of his targets. And there were, there were open players for... Uh, for Locke to go to. They didn't run the ball well at all. They had 38 points before they had 38 rushing yards. Because it was a pass-heavy attack. The, the Texans didn't know what hit them. Do not go and place faith in this Texans defense. I just don't trust yeah, them. No. They're not good. This is the most disquieting result from today because we are coming off a week where the Texans fried the Patriots and it was this, there's the game that re-emphasizes everything good you think about the Texans and they could be wild. They could catch a three-game win streak and wind up in the Super Bowl, but I think they're much more likely to every, alternately every week lay an egg like this because this is not this has happened throughout this entire season. They've been brutally inconsistent but it, it still it doesn't, I don't know what I take out of this game other than that they can lay an egg at any time. Week, That's what I mean. I mean thing, but here's the thing. The defense is is a game plan defense where maybe sometimes it works, but man, I mean, they had no pass rush. They're getting destroyed in terms of their linebackers. Their linebackers in coverage were awful. They were the same guys who showed up to the game dressed up as uh, – the dodgeball movie. Oh, you got it. You can't Including do that. using a wheelchair guy as a prop. Don't put a guy in a wheelchair. And then that guy, I mean, you hate to point it out, did limp off the field with well, an injury. Now, he needs, now he needs the wheelchair. <laughs> as my mother says, don't spit in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get. I don't like that. Wes, to your credit, on Thursday, you did ask the question. You said, what about this Texans defense in a you big did. spot? Can they make? Can, is this a defense to be trusted? And the Broncos, even though they are improving, this is not an offense that you – teams live in fear of. What are we to expect when they play the big boys? You know what they're missing? 
Kareem Jackson. They ought to oh. they ought to melt his helmet yeah. down and make a trophy out and give it to the winner of this team every year because he tips the field every time this game is played. Right. You said that was the best game anyone played all year, Kareem Jackson, against the Broncos last year. It was so good that they had to give him a monster comp. Uh, contract. He had three passes defensed uh, on top of the interception, 11 tack. I mean, he was just flying around, got the touchdown. Good job. I mean, you can shut down Tom Brady, but the idea that you're going to shut down Drew Locke in his second start <laughs> is beyond wrong. Will Fuller is the Jenga piece for this team. Yes. When Will Fuller is out, they are not the same. And it was. I feel his- like he's out every other game, too. Yeah. Right. Like, this is just the- it was his replacement, QT, who had that killer fumble. Rick Scangarello. Skangs. Papa Scango. Remember Papa Shango? Yes, he was one of the more ethnically questionable wrestling gimmicks of the early 90s. Some type of voodoo guy. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He had a lot of... Oh, you don't believe that his... He put a curse on the Ultimate Warrior. I remember during one interview where the Warrior was given an interview to Mean Gene, and then all of a sudden, like, a black goo started running down his face. Is that why his heart exploded? Because Papa Shango... <laughs> well, I don't know. Papa Shango had put a curse upon the Ultimate Warrior. This is during kind of a, a fallow period in the WWF. <laughs> yes, I would. Intermittent. It's not a high point. <laughs> a lot of blank faces in the control room right now. What is going on? But there are definitely 1,400 wrestling fans listening right now. like, love Dan. Way to bring up Shango in a big spot. All right, let's move on. Bartlett pumped his fist. Three on the huddle pop. Here's the snap. Pass on the left side. Got a bubble. Screen set up. Tackle right at the point to make. No, fumble football. Picked up by the Buccaneers. Bucks have the ball. Tampa Bay is forced to take away. It's Mike Edwards with the football. Harlan Mack. Rolling on the field is fumble. And he fumbled the ball. Tampa Bay Buccaneers forced the first takeaway of the ball game. Gene Decker off. Bucks Radio Network. James Winston threw for 456 yards and four touchdowns, helping the Bucks rally, beating the Colts 38-35. See, this is like a chase through the streets of old school Los Angeles. Absolutely. Like cops and robbers. Stuff. 1967. Wes, Winston also threw three interceptions, including his fifth pick six? Wow. Is that a st- I have to double check that stat. Uh, but it's another quintessential Jameis game. Uh, what do you make of this wild up and down Jameis season? It almost seems like a Jameis season on steroids this year. Yeah, it's like a refined version of Jameis Winston. It's just like distilled through three hours of simmering <laughs> into 450 <laughs> yards, four touchdowns, and three interceptions, which is as Jameis as you can possibly get. And he joins Gus Farratt as the only other winning quarterbacks to reach those statistical markers in a game and still win. Gus Farratt. He should have had another interception that might have blown the game, but Pierre Desir uh, dropped it in a 35-28 game. And what happened after that was the Devin White fumble was huge because it had come after Marcus Johnson, who had a pretty big game for the Colts, drew a long pass interference penalty. Naeem Hines is in the red zone. The Colts Colts are driving for the score that's going to put the game away. Mm. Devin White pokes it out, and then Jameis throws an interception right after that. Throws behind Perriman, it's tipped and goes to Malik Hooker, but he ends up coming back again with another opportunity, which Jacoby Brissett, I thought for three quarters, played my favorite game I've ever seen him play. Mm. Just stepping up in the pocket, getting away from pressure, taking chances downfield, and he never throws downfield, so it was nice to see him doing that, attacking downfield. He didn't do much in the fourth quarter, and Jameis did. Mm. It should be noted, Jameis Winston suffered what Bruce Arians labeled a little bitty fracture in his right thumb. Uh, He played the second half with the injury. He had some issues gripping the football. 
so credit to Winston playing through an injury there. What also the most playing through the injury and putting the most yards on the Colts since that game. I know you guys remember this as soon as I say it. That game where Big Ben and Andrew Luck combined for like almost a hundred points and what are your favorite games of all time? At what maybe the best passing game I've ever seen by a pair of mm. quarterbacks. Winston with. Bruce Arian, I guess this was we should have known this was coming because it's like it's all risk it, it's all biscuits, <laughs> it's all Winston. Like you're getting everything that you could possibly get. At least you are getting, you know, you're getting the interceptions, but at least you're getting the four fifty six and four. We got too. It's like sometimes there's so much focus on the interception, and you think like, oh, maybe he's unlucky. No, he has the appropriate amount because there's a lot of dropped interceptions. But you are getting the four fifty six and four. Like that should be that should be accounted. We got riskets, biscuits, and briskets in this game. Ooh. That's that's pretty good. I like that. That's good football. Are they going to bring him back now because of this late season? Surge? Well, that's the question I'm kind it's, of posing. It's like it sounds like they want to. Yeah. If he annoyed you, if he's annoyed you his whole career, if the Bucks have been quietly or not so quietly doubting whether he's the guy, has this season reinforced their feeling, or has it gone the other way? Do they see these big plays and the fact that he's going to throw for probably close to five thousand yards and thirty-five touchdowns, whatever he's going to end up with? Uh, will they be swayed by that? You know that trope when people say, you know, there's open in college football where there's a big window you throw to. But in the NFL, you're only open if you have like a little bit of a step on the receiver. Jameis Winston's open is like if you have an inch right. on your <laughs> on your cornerback, he's throwing it. And I think that's going to plague him for the rest of his career. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think I think it, the decision will be up to Jameis Winston on some level because I think the Bucks will absolutely offer him a competitive enough contract and I'm not sure anyone else, like to me he's going to be worth more to them than anyone else and I think he's probably going to want to stay there and it might get worked out before you even get to free agency it's kind of a hilarious season he's having yes that was his fifth pick six of the season he's on pace for th- to throw for 4,900 yards averaging eight yards attempt nearly 29 touchdowns and 27 mm. interceptions and rest, rest in peace the Colts some fumbles by the way. too yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're, in they're done. Water. Six and seven, it, win it's over. Game. You lost well, those two, uh, the, two games behind now with three to play. Whereas Matt Gay drilled a field goal right after Pierre Desir dropped that interception, the Colts missed another kick. Chase McLaughlin missed a kick today. And oh, no, he, he made a couple too, but the Colts have missed 15 kicks this year, the most in the NFL, and it's cost them 33 points. Well, yeah, the 8-8, eight 10-6 eight, and six line is thin. If your kicker keeps missing, you're going to probably end up on the wrong side of that. Uh, let us uh, move on. Andy Lee with a punch snap. Oh, gets it out of there. A big rush. Deontay Johnson has to chase it back. Takes it his own 17-yard line up to the 15, 20, the 25, the 30. He's off to the races. 40, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20. There goes Deontay Johnson with a punt return touchdown. I don't see any markers down. Do you? Oh, Billy, I do not. And you know what? I was saying, every time he catches the ball, you hold your breath. And now he finally took it to the house. His longest previous punt return touch was 14 yards. Yeah. This one, to the house. Bill Hillgrove and Tunch Ilkin. Grove and Tunch in the morning. That's a good team. Steelers Radio Network. Deontay Johnson, 85 yards to the house on a punt return. He also had a uh, touchdown reception. Steelers beat the Cardinals 23-17 in Arizona, in Glendale, with a billion Steelers fans in attendance. Wes, 
The days of the killer bees and blowing off the doors, blowing the doors off lesser teams like the Cardinals, that's over in Pittsburgh, at least for now. But hey, a dub is a dub, and the Steelers keep stacking. Uh, it would have been interesting to see if the Steelers blew the doors off this Cardinals team had Benny Snell not fumbled and given the Cardinals' prime field position when the Steelers were threatening to run away with the game early, they let the Cardinals back into it and then it became a bit of a slugfest. But I would say my opinion on their quarterback situation had a lot more to do with Mason Rudolph than Duck Hodges. I've been a little bit fearful that Duck wouldn't get it done. I mean, he's not the most talented guy in the world. Every week that goes by now, I'm a little more confident in Duck Hodges. Mm. You're starting to see that the receivers, James Washington was coming off two big games back-to-back, and he drew a couple of penalties today that his numbers don't look as good as, as he played. Deontay Johnson, after having an awful game last week, comes back and has his coming-out party this year with the punt return, and then he had a great play in the red zone where you think he's getting tackled for a big loss, and his punt return skills come out, and he sets up his own touchdown with that play. He had a really nice game. Duck Hodges started out 8-for-8 on third downs, and he only missed three completions all game. So you're talking about a guy who is certainly not hurting his team and in many cases is helping his team. Greg, you mentioned the Chiefs and the Patriots as being so vastly different than they were in the AFC Championship. The lineup and the box score for the Steelers week to week is ultra insane. I mean, obviously it starts with Duck at quarterback, but... Kareth White is running for eight yards per carry. It's the Benny Snells. It's like everyone that was there is no longer there, and they are winning these games, and they currently have the tiebreaker over Tennessee. Well, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, T.J. Watt, had an interception in the end zone on a play where Kyler Murray probably could have kept the ball and run and picked up the first down or touchdown on fourth down, but he he passed it instead. And I don't think Kyler is himself while playing through this. I think it's a hamstring injury. He's not really effective as a scrambler right now, and that's a big part of his game. Mm. Uh, and TJ Watt, it was interesting that Tomlin told the CBS crew, if you if you ask me in September who's the leader of your defense, it's Cameron Hayward. And he said now it's definitely TJ Watt, and it's been fun to watch him just take ownership of that situation. Any concern of Kyler's? Decision-making, three interceptions, fumble. It takes a lot of sacks. I know it's not a good offensive line, but a lot of that is on him. It seems like it's it's slowing down. Maybe it is this hamstring injury. Well, I think it's a combination of the hamstring injury and an erosion of trust with his offensive line, which I think early in the season I was surprised he wasn't getting sacked more often considering how bad they were. And now it feels like it's been building up over time to the point where he doesn't trust him much. All right, Pittsburgh is chasing that wild card spot, and they're in good position uh, right now. Uh, let's see another. Te- let's check out another team uh, gunning for a wild card slot. Hayfield shotgun. He's got the snap. Back settles. Looks up in the pocket. Runs left to the corner. He's to the ten. He's to the five. He dives around the pylon. No signal. Now they do. Touchdown, Baker Mayfield. What a job by his body to hook around the pylon and get it in as he runs it in from seven yards out on third and goal. So the Browns tie it at 13. Jim Donovan, Browns Radio Network with the call. Yes, Baker Mayfield didn't throw for a touchdown, but he did run for one as the cream hunt. Nick Chubb went over 100, including 99 after uh, the halftime break. Cleveland stays alive in the AFC playoff picture. 27-19 win over the Bengals, who come down to earth after their first win of the year. Mark, uh, this doesn't sound like a flawless effort for the Browns, but hey, need the win, got the win. 
Well, they don't really specialize in flawless efforts. And I, my biggest concern with the way this game started was that this is a Cincinnati is the worst run defense in the league, and they played better of late. And it's not that it's, you know that's the collective stats there. But Cleveland had Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt with 17 combined yards at halftime in a game that I thought this was where you just at home pound away with your best player, Nick Chubb, and use Kareem Hunt the way you've used him. And don't put Baker Mayfield into strange situations through the air. It it, it took them a long time until that touchdown we just showed to get their flow together. And then from there, they took care of business. And you you look at the stats and it's like Andy Dalton, no touchdowns, and he had a pick six. I thought he played pretty well, actually. I mean, it's just that there's not much around Andy Dalton. Joe Mixon had one of his best games of the year. The Browns, to me, are not a playoff team on any level at this point because they seem to be, I think, definitely a year away in a lot of different categories and ways of really being an effective offense at all. They seem mentally discombobulated Mm. in terms of their game planning. I don't trust their coaching staff to adjust at halftime or to go into the game with the best way to attack. No, they gave up 27 first downs to the Bengals. They were outgained by 120 yards. Mayfield threw two interceptions. The well, Bengals hold on. Co- one of them, can I just say one of them yeah. was like David Njoku catching the ball and falling on his back, and everyone thought it was going to be A, a catch, then B, a Njoku fumble, and then it was ruled a Baker Mayfield interception. So, But <laughs> but still. Right. Just, just that it was a day where their red zone defense ultimately saved them. I think the Bengals were one for five in the red zone, and that the the feel, the fact that Baker Mayfield's going under 50% completion, I know he had some big plays against the Bengals, and then the fact that after the game, the conversation is about Odell Beckham, where Jay Glazer, before the game, says this Odell Beckham talk, how he's not committing to Cleveland long-term, which kind of came from a press conference uh, you know, last, last, uh, last week, pops up, and then after the game, Baker Mayfield's kind of throwing his training staff under the bus. We have that sound. Let's listen in. I'd say that, you know, wasn't handled right. Uh, He's not able to run as well as he should be able to, uh, as well as he knows, and that's frustrating for him. Uh, You can sense that's some of his frustration, where that comes from. So uh, it wasn't handled the right way in our training room, so uh, we'll, we'll you know, it is what it is. And so his not 100% is still good enough for us. I feel like Browns fans have experienced every kind of frustration under the sun. And this year has brought a new one that every time you win a game, you're not talking about the football. You're talking about some other controversy after the fact. You never get a chance to unwind and enjoy a win. He's a smart guy, right? What does Mayfield think is going to happen when you make that comment trying to stand up for it he's trying to I make think he's, I isn't think there a smarter way to do that of though? course of I mean well, because so, that yeah. becomes the story right. that he's throwing his team under the bus in a way and even if his intentions are noble which is to say I'm on OBJ's side all oh, you guys getting on him that he's having a down year but this is one thing you don't do and like Wes is saying it's just, they, it just should be about the Browns staying alive and instead it's going to be about Baker mouthing off about his team he did story. come out and apologize strongly on Twitter for not wanting to make it seem like he's throwing... No, I get it, but he just did. But part of it is you haven't heard much from Odell Beckham at all. And I think that he is speaking for someone who typically is the person drawing all this media fire. I hear you, though. I mean, it's like I'm not just going to stick up for Baker Mayfield because I'm a Browns fan by nature. It just makes the organization look bad. First of all, that Odell Beckham wants out. And then second, that the quarter... 
quarterback is sort of blaming the organization. So you got to think as the leader, like you want to make your organization look good. Baker's going to be there long term, whether OBJ is, you know, or or not. And I get that he's trying to stick up for him and it helps explain maybe, you know, Beckham's poor year. But does it also explain why Beckham made that comment in the first place that he's maybe upset behind the scenes at how the Browns have handled it? I think that would, I, I think when you see splits and we've seen it this year with, with, Oh, in Washington too. When there are issues between player and medical staff, that can lead to mm. the There's still so much upside though with Baker and that offense and Odell. I think it would be a huge mistake if Beckham forced him forced his way out of town. There's no sense digging on that because we don't. There's so much to be told in that story. But they need an off season. Stick I mean, around. I, I cannot think of a team that needs to just flush this experience. <laughs> Turn the page. You won today right. though, Mark. I- you won. But he's right, though. Every win feels tinged with something darker that you can't really Tainted. find. Tainted. Just you can't enjoy it. Shout out, uh, though, before we go to Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach, for uh, having Randy Bullock line up for a 46-yard field goal with 12 seconds hey, to Dr. go. Hey, Dr. Rainmaker. Because it's credit. Oh, I don't want a log version. What is this? Because it brought the rain at the hey, last second. I want to hear this. Turn it up. <laughs> Here comes the rain again. Here comes the rain. Never again. Lean in. Oh boy, the voice. Greg, what concerns me is Thanks, you were actually voice. the lead singer of a of a band at some point. Yeah, why are you so ashamed of the voice that sold four copies? <laughs> Of an how, album. How do you Western want to cook to at least sold how like you want 47? To what a great title. Wait, you think you sold 47 copies? That means there's at least 47 a, copies out there. How I many did you no, give away? I, I don't know. Is that how you sang in that for that band? I just want to know if that was like your... Is <laughs> that your... More of like general, a... No. We like wasn't experience. trying to hit those tough notes. Who was, we just did the throwback podcast talking Arcade Fire, Greg. Who would... Because every singer, whether he admits to or not, is influenced by someone out there that he listened to or looked up to really a singer who would be (laughs) who would be the voice that you maybe modeled yourself after during your days fronting delaware the emo goth band in western not an emo band not a goth band. i would say the dead milkman whoever that wow the dead milkman not a lot of people would answer the dead milkman for that question (laughs) all right um let us move on uh to the nfc back to the nfc so it's first and goal, Vikings in a scoreless game from the Lions 9. Alexander Madison, the tailback, play action. Kirk, straight drop to the end zone. Caught! Touchdown, Stacey! Hold up, B.C. Johnson has caught two touchdowns in as many games against the Detroit Lions, and the Vikings have taken a 6-0 lead. Ooh, Paul Allen's one of the zero truthers. I've had some words with Matt Money Smith about this because Money is also a zero truther. There's no six nothing. When he's calling the game, it's six zero. That doesn't sit well with me. I, I couldn't. I, understand. I couldn't. I agree with you 100. That's technically correct, and that's why a real broadcaster mm. like a Money um, or a Paul Allen does do it. But I don't love it. I'd like Wait, you don't like Money's take on it? I don't. He's a six zero guy. He's a zero truther. And well, I respect why, money, but I don't Why shouldn't agree. he be allowed to make his own call? It's he his is. Game. He is. So what's the problem? He's I'm just, just saying, saying he. You're, I'm a twenty nothing guy. I understand yes. what twenty uh, okay. nothing means. I don't need it to be twenty zero. I'm a traditionalist. I'm, also, I'm a nothing guy. Would, kill, would it kill him to throw in a little bupkis or zots? Nah, they don't do that. <laughs> they. What is the exact definition for the zero numeric? Zero. I mean, there are reasons that Matt Money Smith has been hired to to call games. And hey, he's a pro. Some of us have not. But, he's a pro's pro. Yeah. BC Johnson. Had a touchdown catch, and Danielle Hunter had three sacks, five for Minnesota. Uh, their defense needed a big game. They got it, took care of business against the Lions, 20-7. to 7. 
uh, six straight losses for the Lions and Minnesota uh, with a win as they continue to charge towards the playoff spot. Now, let us welcome in Nick Shook. Oh, my God. Who is straight out of the gym. He's lending us a hand on a full Sunday slate. Shook, how are you, buddy? I'm great. I'm still captivated by that audio clip of, of, of uh, Here Comes the Rain. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Here comes the rain. And by the way, are you are you a zero truther also? No, nah, I'm cool. You can use nothing. I didn't even think about that until you brought that up. I mean, technically it's correct, and if you want to be a stickler for it, then yeah, but no, you can use nothing. Nothing's Same. fine for me. Shook's an everyman. That's yeah. why I love him. Anyway, Shook, so yeah, we needed, we needed a hand, and those the big masculine meat paws of yours are going to help us out here um, talking Detroit, uh, Minnesota. We know where the Lions are at this juncture, which is a very bad place, but what, were your, what was your big takeaway from the Vikings in this game? Uh, you know, they did enough. Uh, I think, you know, their defense was the story of the day. You know, the five sacks, as you mentioned, uh, really shutting down anything that Detroit could do. It was more of a game where statistically, if you look at, you know, the, the line Kirk Cousins had, it's, it's really good, but oftentimes they couldn't really take advantage or just didn't take advantage of the opportunities that they had, but they took advantage of enough opportunities to win the game. It's not like the task was that great, you know, considering the Lions team that they were playing and they got a really big boost at the end of the half. There was like a minute and a half left and and the Lions, you know, uh, tried to settle for a field goal, missed that field goal. And then the Vikings hit a big play to Stephon Diggs, ended up capping it with a Dalvin Cook touchdown run. And it pretty much felt over from there. And it ultimately was, I think that was pretty much the turning point. It's one of those games where, you have a team that's clearly superior uh, and just needs to do just enough to win and get to the next week, and that's what we had here. Did Dalvin Cook like look like a guy playing through an injury, or did he look like an MVP candidate? Uh, handoffs-wise, you know, uh, carries-wise, he looked like somebody was playing through an injury, but I didn't notice that much of an issue with him running the football. He still looked explosive. He still looked strong through the hole. You know, I was watching the Browns game and this game at the same time, and I was getting, you know, frame-by-frame comparisons of him and Nick Chubb, and I was thinking to myself, if I had to – pick a running back to start with, I would pick Dalvin Cook over Nick Chubb. He's just more explosive uh, from the backfield through the line of scrimmage than a guy like Nick Chubb. Not to you know, knock anything against him, but uh, so he looked fine. I just think, you know, he'll, it was a game where he could have sat out and I wouldn't have had an issue with it. I mean, Alexander Madison still had 14 carries for 46 yards, and I think he would have done a good enough job. But again, you're kind of fending off the Rams who are coming up on their tails, and you're also trying to still win your division. So I understand why he played. I don't think it's a huge, huge issue going forward. For those of us that uh, started a fan club based on the exploits of David Blau, should the Blauhards be concerned about the overall arc of where we're at with this quarterback right now? Blauhard Nation wants to know. Well, you know, every time Blau takes the field, there's a certain term for that uh, span of time. It's called Blauer Hour. uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Blauer Hour wasn't so great this week. Uh, Threw a couple interceptions. One of them was really bad and kind of killed their only strong drive of the second, second half. But again, I mean, he's handed the ball to both Scarborough. And, you know, he connected with Kenny Galladay on a garbage time touchdown. That's pretty much the majority of, of what happened. You know what they're dealing with here. They're just not a full strength team, and especially not with a full strength quarterback. So everybody loves David Blau. And having spent training camp covering him, Ooh. I also enjoyed David Blau and his, uh, his magic tricks. You know, oh, he's yeah. good with the cards and everything. But Blau <laughs> a was uh, Did you a just, one. This were week. you just dismissive of all of us bohemians out there? <laughs> because we like Look, what we got in our guy. The, it, it won the rookie show in Berea. I'll tell you that. But I don't know how far it's going to take him in the NFL. Wow. Shout out to Daniil Hunter, the youngest player in NFL history to get to 50 sacks. I feel like he gets slept on as one of the great pass rushers. This year, he's second in sacks, fifth in hits, 
first in hurries. 79 pressures this Whoa. year by Daniil Hunter. He just does it week after week. And it feels like Daniel. he's even better in that dome in their home stadium where they have an advantage against, you know, with the crowd noise. He, he just plays so well in that dome. Shook. You believe in the Vikings before we say goodbye. I'm looking at their they're nine and four. Right now they're the they're the where are they? They are this projected sixth seed. They got at Chargers, home Packers, home Bears. Tell us where the Vikings end up uh, New Year's Day. Right now. Let us know. Oof. Well, I, On th- the spot. I still think they could win they could still win their division. I mean, I think that, but that will they? the Packers in week 16, I believe that they'll beat the Packers. I don't fully believe in the Packers. Uh, every time they've come against a team that they face a strong test against, they've fallen short. And I think that they might fall short against this team as long as Kirk Cousins can play well statistically and on tape because sometimes there's a difference and and he's only done that really in the big moment once in his career. So he needs to do that, but I think they're equipped enough. You know, Greg mentioned Daniel Hunter and everything that he's done, this is really two strong seasons for him in a row that he's a, a premier pass rusher, and I think they can ride that defense. As long as their offense does enough, as long as Kirk Cousins looks better than just a Sterling stat line, they could beat the Packers, they could win the division, and they could make a serious run. Do I think they'll beat the Niners or another team like that in the playoffs? Mm, I don't think so, but I think they're good enough to compete. All right, and I'm just curious before we say goodbye, now that you're back in the NFL.com family, which we're so excited about, these Sundays, they're long Sundays. You're covering a lot of the NFL, um, watching TV all that. Do you get a chance to get a pump on a Sunday? Uh, actually, no. Usually, Oof. I mean, if I get up early enough for the last what a revelation, days, no, that has not. It's been it's been a designated off day. It's all football. Mm. That's uh, that's what's fueling me on. Sunday. Are you are you as committed to your physique as you were when we knew you here? That's the question that had to be asked. Thank you, Mark. Oh, yes, of course. Absolutely. All right. That's got to really weigh on your mind while you're sleeping on Sunday nights that you didn't get a pump in. You know it does. Not, not, not at you all. See this I don't guy? carry the, the past day's failures at all. I just move forward. Always, Always forward, forward, never back. Uh, Shook, we're probably going to need your help again in the coming weeks, so we'd love if you could uh, rejoin us uh, down the line. Does that work for you? Yeah. Definitely. Lions every week for you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hook you up with a better game before, the, before we uh, say goodbye to the 2019 regular season. Nick Shook, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Speaking of those Packers. And the snap to give Jones up the middle, cuts it back, straight ahead to the end zone. He dives in for the touchdown. And the Packers take a 6-0 lead. Four-yard touchdown run by Aaron Jones in a Lambeau lead to the south end zone stand. Aaron Jones. He'd been gone for a while, but he's back. 134 yards, season high total. On only 16 carries, Aaron Rodgers... He threw for a buck ninety-five and a touch. Packers, twenty fifteen win over the Redskins at Lambeau Field. Wes, I didn't see a second of this one. Twenty fifteen. Tell us about it. What? I am so tired of hearing every week how many passes Aaron Rodgers has gone without an interception. If you hold the ball instead of throwing it, there's no chance of getting interception. Oh no! You know what he's saying. Plug in, everybody. Read between the lines. I love Aaron Rodgers, but this has been a story, whether it's Mike McCarthy or Matt LaFleur, for it seems like three or four years now. Why is Aaron Rodgers holding the ball? Is it because his receivers aren't getting open, or is it because the quarterback needs for the perfect play to be there in order to release the ball? Probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. This was a big part of this game, and maybe we're not talking about it if – 
Uh, Rodgers doesn't throw slightly behind Jay Sternberger on a potential touchdown. If Jimmy Graham was the Saints version of Jimmy Graham and leaped up for a catch in the red zone on a pretty decent Aaron Rodgers throw. If that version's Ra- long gone. It's long gone. And I thought Graham should have made the catch, but, you know, that's the ghost of Jimmy Graham. Aaron Jones on a third down. Rodgers just barely missed him on a, on a play that would have gone for a lot of yards. So this is... What we talk about with Aaron Rodgers almost after every game, they just missed on a series of plays where the throws were pretty good. But when you hold the ball for so long and you can't convert third downs, you tend to talk about the plays you just missed because you're not talking about the plays you made. Mm. How about uh, Haskins? Little progress report. Uh, He has a major sack issue, like to the point where it's a Jameis Winston Ah! interception issue. He <laughs> knew that was coming. Deshaun, yeah, it's more like go to the doctor. Let's put this in perspective. Deshaun Watson's sack rate last year was 10.9% when he got sacked the fifth most times by a quarterback in NFL history. Haskins is at 14%. Case Keenum was at 6% behind the same offensive line. This is a Haskins issue, and whoever coaches them next year will have to spend the offseason working Pretty on Pretty common one for rookie quarterbacks. Certainly, probably the most common one, just holding the ball too long. He played through an injury today, 6.3 yards per attempt. I, the result doesn't surprise me. The fight in Callahan stay in each game. <laughs> you love Bill Callahan. I mean, this, uh, this was more about the Packers than the Redskins. Okay, but it, it doesn't surprise me on the Packers side either because I'm with Nick that I don't know what you have right now with this Packers team. Great record. I'm, I mean, I'm the a, same place. With well, they, seven and three. This is the ninth time this year Aaron Rodgers has had a passer rating under 100 in a game. That should not be happening. Mm. Just feels like a clear middle tier to a collection of like the Vikings and the Packers. I I know you asked Nick if he could see them making a run. I could see them winning a playoff game. I simply don't buy that with the Vikings and I don't see that with Green Bay at all. I'm with you and yet they're intriguing like cuz some years that's the best you got. Like some years the teams like this are a one or a two or a two seed and it it's kind of fun if they if these guys are the end of the NFC playoffs like that is a, a fun little tourney. All right, let's rip through three games that have I was going to say zero implications, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say no implications. Bingo, nailed it. <laughs> they got to be alert for pressure here. They here come. it comes. Yep, Ryan from the pocket going to take the shot. Zacchaeus is out there. Alamade's first professional catch. He breaks away, and Alamade Zacchaeus is going to go to the house. Ninety-three yards. Unbelievable. Dante Jackson got caught in the dust. They came with a sellout blitz, zero coverage, and Alamade Zacchaeus, the <laughs> all-time leading the receiver in Virginia history, finally gets clean and finally gets an opportunity to be put up the bat, and the rookie delivers big time. It's almost like Wes Durham and David Archer of the Falcons Radio Network had a little inside joke uh, side bet. Who could say his name the most on that call? <laughs> on Roddy White Day in Atlanta, Alamade Zacchaeus hauled in. Yes, a touchdown pass from Matt Ryan. That was the longest in the great quarterback's career. 93 yards. The Falcons double up the Panthers 40-20. to 20. Greg, I feel like this is a meaningless NFC South tilt. You'd be weirdly excited about not, not too excited. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of points. It could have been a worse. Excitement the bloom is off the Falcons, Rose. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, 
I guess it can go two ways when you're an interim head coach. You can either kind of have a couple fun wins and become a new uh, personality, mm-hmm. big arms from Dan Campbell or Joe Vitt's <laughs> press conference, or you can be Perry Fuel, who gives up 40 points, or his defense gives up 40 points, and then his cornerback, Dante Jackson, after the game, blames that play and a couple others on his awful, horrible calls Jeez. for not Whoa. practicing these situations. Uh, throughout the week and that they didn't make uh, any sense. This was a season. Of course, that, he wow. gave up that play. So he's, you know, he's going to be running laps this week. <laughs> Remember when we were in London and we watched the Panthers and they, not that they won yeah. and they beat the Falcons and they were riding high? These seasons can turn quickly in our league. Kyle Allen. Uh, <laughs> Pretty grim. The, the, the Falcons have intercepted Kyle Allen more than the rest of uh, all their games combined. So they love, they love facing Kyle Allen. They own Kyle Allen. The four and nine Falcons will not never lose to Kyle Allen. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> All right, then. Eckler now in for Gordon, out wide of the numbers right, and the slot is Henry left. We've got a linebacker on Eckler, and here comes the quick blitz. There's Eckler. Gets a block, 20, 25, 30. It's a foot race, 40, 50, into Jack's territory, 30, 20. Austin Eckler to the end zone. Touchdown, Chargers. Austin Eckler is having himself a day. And Keenan Allen cannot stop dancing. 84 yards. There was nobody there. Yeah. I mean, you had blockers and two defenders, and once he got by that first yeah. line, there was nothing between him Superf- and him. Superfluous is what it is. Matt Money Smith, there he is. And Daniel Jeremiah. With the call, KFI AM. Bill Rivers threw for 314 yards, three touchdowns, including an 84-yarder to Austin Eckler. The longest completion in the history of Philip Rivers footballing. The Chargers are the latest team to humiliate the Jaguars, 45-10. Mark, in a tough year, it was a happy birthday to your boy, Philly Rivers. <laughs> it was a celebration. <laughs> uh, we did a Sky today. Sports hit that Mark was very excited about Phil Rivers. So oh, good. I'll tee him up I on I like to hear I, that. I thought that one of the more depressing visual sights has been Philip Rivers over the past couple of weeks. And it was a week ago that, you know, whispers are bubbling up that he's going to be benched. We have Tyrod Taylor warming up on the sideline. But you know what fixes these kinds of problems? The defense of the Jaguars which at this point is beyond a ghost. I don't know what you want to talk about not coaching well on defense and not figuring out how to handle these assignments. This was a game where the Chargers basically looked at what's happened to Jacksonville over the past three or four weeks and said, all we need to do is take deep shots down the field over and over. We will unleash Austin Eckler for 200-plus yards off of nine touches. The he, best receiving back in football. I mean, wouldn't you rather have him than Leonard Fournette? I don't even think it's a question. Oh, absolutely. He, he is a uh, bet. No doubt. It's crazy to think. It's, it's no a passing doubt. league. He had these insane runs of 35 yards, 27 yards, 23 yards. This was a game that I had to write up for the site, and it played about as beautifully as one could ever hope for a project like that because the <laughs> game was over in like 12 minutes. You knew it was over, and it, they never let up. Phillip Rivers, instead of having to watch Tyrod Taylor warm up and take his job, was sitting by the beginning of the fourth quarter because it was like this game is absolute curtains, and it's over. And the Jaguars are as disorganized as they come right now. And you know what? Gardner Minshew did not play well. He also simply has no chance to. And neither did Nick Foles. And I can't help but wonder if you're the Jaguars and who knows who's going to be around a month from now or who's even going to care about what's happening next season. 
I might get another look at Nick Foles for a couple games because <laughs> oh, no. The, no, I'll tell you why. Because at this point, what? you're you're putting Gardner Minshew in a bad situation. Oh, but this year you're this saying? year. I'm saying I have no problem with doing that because it's like you have to figure out you what you think. You're doing whoever this. they play is going to get hurt or ruined. I just I don't like any quarterbacks. I mean, there's like chances in this eighty-eight million dollar contract. If it's about like saving a guy from injury, well, I don't I, know, man. I'm, not, just I'm like, not employed by an NFL. Front it's just office, a reminder that this never as bad as Falls was last week. It has nothing to do with the quarterback. This is this team is just completely well, packed it up. I mean, they're the worst team in the NFL. They have not been. It is Easily. hard in the NFL to lose by three scores or more five straight weeks, and some of these games are like five scores. That's how much they're losing. By they now. have they have lost five straight all by 17 points, at least 17 points. Hang on. The 1986 Buccaneers, the last team to drop five straight by at least 17. That, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Easy. This that's is wild. the worst team yep. in the NFL. Bengals all coming to the, power the 90s and never did that? Yep. No. Greg, oh you, you put it on my radar last week. That, this is going to be an epic free fall. Down the old power rank. You hate to see it. For the Jaguars. And it's, How much farther can they fall from where they were last week? They're going, I mean, they're going to the 32, I think. Okay. I think you got to put them down there. Um, and you know what? Ooh. This is what it looks like when, when a team quits on its coach, and it's not pretty, Wes. Well, I think they're gone. I think Greg talked about this a couple weeks ago. Everybody's gone there. Uh, finally, let's head to the swamps of Jersey. Brian Flores is not near the officials. I don't think so. I think they're going to let him kick it. 44 yards away for Ficken to try and win it. Out of the hole of Edwards. Clean spot. Kick on the way. It is good! Inside the right upright for Sam Ficken. And on the last play of the game, the Jets pull it out. They win it over Miami 22-21. to 21. Nice call, Bob with shoes in. He ain't playing out the string. Sam Ficken kicked that 44-yarder as time expired, giving the Jets a 22-21 comeback win over the Dolphins. A game that, uh, and if you're watching it on YouTube or you watch this game, you're watching us on YouTube, I should say, you see Brian Flores running, sprinting toward midfield as uh, the Jets celebrated uh, because this game, for me, will be in a game between two, two teams far out of contention. Another example of the pass interference rule, which was they changed this rule in the middle of the season. Which it's not the only one. I mean, they say they didn't. They say they didn't, but for the past three weeks, something has changed. Uh, and what it is is they're now calling it closer to the letter of the law rather than it being have to be something absolutely egregious for the, to change. And, of course, coaches are mad. Not that they're now getting the calls. They're actually changing the calls where a guy actually is interfered with. It's that, that they don't know what to expect anymore, and that's why Flores was so mad. And let me just give you a little context of how big the call was. The Jets were facing a third and 18 uh, from about their 40-yard line. Uh, with less than a minute to go, no timeouts, and Sam Darnold incomplete. Uh, so they're set up now. They're near midfield, actually. They're set up fourth and 18 near midfield, no timeouts, uh, needing a field goal to win. In other words, the Dolphins were set up for the win, and they buzz down and call uh, pass interference um, on Nick Needham. And the Jets, to their credit, move another 15 or so yards uh, down the field and then kick the field goal. So the Dolphins have every right to be angry. Uh, it was the right call, I should say. It was uh, He was interfered with, but it's just the fact that they've been inconsistent with it. And the one thing that they've kind of not gotten right here is, I think it's clear, it's like you couldn't 
you couldn't have corrective steering in the middle of the season. You kind of had to pick a way to handle this and stick with it. If you change midseason without making any type of announcement, which of course you would never do, it's just going to lead to confusion and frustration, and that's what we saw at MetLife Stadium. Shout out to Jason Sanders, who went seven for eight and field goals. Well, this game had yes. the most field yeah. goals. <laughs> you don't see that too often. This game had the most field goals by two teams in NFL history. It was like a John Fox, Jeff Fisher fever dream. The, the box score. Wild. These teams are as even in the box score as any game all season. I don't know what that means, if it says it's anything. A, yeah. 22 first downs. One each. One team's four for 13 on third down. The other's five for 13. Eight seconds apart uh, in time of possession. I mean, Dolphins, Jets. Hey, what they will not be in last place, the Jets. They will get that third-place schedule now because they won this game. And I just want my last note, and I even checked in with NFL Media Research because I was like, because the Jets' defense wasn't great. Uh, they gave up seven scoring drives, but they're all field goals. Has there ever been a case where a team punted just once, which the Dolphins did, without scoring a touchdown? Hmm. And it turns out that it happened once last season, uh, but just six times since 2000. So it's hmm. rare, wow. but not hardly unprecedented. No that, Jamal Adams. No Jamal Adams. No, no Le'Veon Bell. Bell. Uh, Sam Darnold played a, a fairly poor game uh, here. So the Jets are lucky to get the win. And you never, even in a lost season, you don't want to get swept by the Dolphins. As bad as this rivalry is right now, it's falling on hard times. Don't want to ever get swept. And Hank has to eat that. Handsome Hank. The Dolphins. <laughs> uh, which takes us to Sunday Night Football. Jared Goff under center. Looking to build on a 21-9 lead. He gives to Gurley. He tries the left side. To the perimeter. A vicious stiff arm. And he goes in on his feet. Touchdown, Todd Gurley. Touchdown, L.A. With 11.07 to go in regulation. It's out to 27-9. And for Gurley, it's his 12th touchdown in nine games against the Seahawks. Chris Wesseling's neighbor, J.B. Long, with the call. Todd Gurley goes over 100 yards from scrimmage in a 28-12 Rams victory. I'm Greg. You know you, you know me. I've been on the show this whole time. But uh, Dan had to step away, take care of some family matters. So we are wrapping up Sunday night football in style. And the Rams, Chris Wesseling, are making a playoff push. Didn't think they had it in them. They were the team last week that most convinced me. They were just different than what we saw early in the season. They are a different team now. It starts with Todd Gurley being back, and we saw it tonight. Mark, several times throughout the game, it seemed like in the second and third quarter, you said, Gurley is running really tough tonight. And Tyler Higby, who before last week had played 62 games and had only topped 50 yards twice in those 62 games, back-to-back 100-yard performances. Wow. And looks like Todd Heap in his prime out there. They, he's been wasting away as a blocker. They need that, and that's a big added element to their offense. They were doing a lot of jet sweeps tonight with Josh Reynolds and Robert Woods and friends and, you know, just getting finding creative ways to attack Seattle. I thought that the, when the Rams won me over in this game was you had the Goff pick six. Next possession, the Rams come back and throw another interception. You can feel the potential meltdown beginning to happen. In Seattle, beginning to do what they do. Whatever the deficit is, they're going to find their way back in. But the Rams' defense has been lights out the past couple weeks, and they put the clamps on Russell Wilson tonight. I came into this game saying, all right, Aaron Donald, this defensive player of the year is kind of up in the, up in the air right now. Go make a statement. And, and he did. I, I think you saw the four quarterback hits. You saw a tackle for loss. You saw a sack and a half. And you saw what he does, kind of like Lamar Jackson opens up uh, plays for his teammates. Aaron Donald opens up plays for Dante Fowler and Samson Ebicon, who both had you know single 
blocking opportunities all night. And even on plays where Donald is kind of darting inside, there was one where he had three or four blockers on him. And then Fowler gets around the edge. Clay Matthews had a big hit on Russell Wilson on a key spot. And the Seahawks, who scored six points on offense, because they got that pick six, Basically, Collinsworth said it, but I agree. Like when they just have to pass protect, they're they're a bad pass protecting team. And I know we're we're picking on the Seahawks. They're they're due for, to have one bad game, but ten and three, I would be a little concerned by this uh, result that they're not that they weren't competitive in this spot. Concerned enough about a playoff spot, or just concerned that they won't be riding momentum when they go into? The I guess I I've been concerned all year that the offense works on a lot of low percentage plays and Russell had his chance for him tonight where he, a couple deep plays to lock it that they just didn't hit but you're counting on Russell Wilson to make magic the running game is a little up and down the defense at least tonight their big players Clowney and, and Bobby Wagner didn't step up that won't be the case every week but it's just been a very slim margin for error I mean they have about as many two score wins I think as the Miami Dolphins do this year every game is down to the wire and that would worry me a little bit it's a little slimmer margin too because Rashad Penny who we had seen emerging as that sort of Robin to Chris Carson's Batman it just goes down with a bad knee injury, and he was on crutches with a large knee brace after the game. That looked like it might be a season ender. Ruled out really quickly, and that's been a one-two punch for them. I thought if you're a Rams fan, the reason that there's hope is that outside of the interceptions for Goff, when they're using him outside of the pocket, he looked really good tonight. He made some big plays, and it, they're just their offense is starting to show work in concert a little bit. And my biggest issue with them was that they were not only – not running well. They were boring to watch. Right. This Rams team tonight had some juice, a completely different situation. Like rhythm. Their, Higby was killing the linebackers. Goff was hitting throws in rhythm. The first third and four of the game, he hits Robert Woods on a crosser, and it was those plays that you saw all the time uh, a year ago, but then you're also seeing some new elements of the, off- the offense with Higby following Everett up. Gerald Everett was playing really well before he got hurt and then Goff being on the move and then Todd Gurley running with some heat. I know it's, you didn't have a monster game uh, stats-wise, but you can just tell the juice is back and the whole narrative is like, well, Sean McVay, you know, he said he was an idiot for not giving him the ball early. Sean McVay is just putting that on him because he's a good coach. Anyone that thinks that they made a mistake because of Todd Gurley's usage in the first half of the season, we're, we're watching the game. He's just playing better now. He's a different player right now. He wasn't making anyone miss then. He was he was trying to run them over because he couldn't go around them. And at midseason, you mentioned Gerald Everett. It looked like Cooper Cup and Gerald Everett might be the two players who raised the level of this offense. Instead, mm. it's been Gurley, Higby, and Woods. They showed that, that graphic on, on Sunday Night Football. The first trio with back-to-back 100-yard games each since the 2000 Vikings. Think wow. about that. what kind of a day it has been for 49ers fans. You win one of the most electrifying, franchise-altering wins of late early on against the Saints, and now this happens tonight. And because Seattle was sitting in the driver's seat with that Week 17 showdown coming, had they won this thing, and now that game, which probably should be flexed into that, oh, I night think it's spot, happening. It better be happening. Seattle's got two winnable games coming up here, and before they play the 49ers in Week 17, they're almost guaranteed. Uh, to be playing for home field advantage. It, the only way that they wouldn't be is if, if the 49ers blow it the next couple weeks. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it was kind of a perfect night. I mean, the 
the Seahawks offense got bogged down on a couple of drops, some things that, that were preventable. But the Rams have played their, their two best games of the year in a row, much like the Falcons two years ago, much like the Eagles a year ago. The NFC champs, like, shaking off the hangover. You know, the hangover lasts until late November. And the fact that they got a win tonight means they could enjoy what was ultimately um, kind of a silly moment. Some might say it's embarrassing. I would say it was delightful. It involved uh, the Rams cheerleaders. Let's take a listen. You still have made the cheerleaders off the field. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That uh, was prefaced uh, by Jared Goff stepping up to the line of scrimmage, about to snap it, and they had to stop play. And and then there was about a 10-second delay, and you could not have been more delighted. I love things like this. You know, the bags almost getting lost for the Chiefs and them having to maybe forfeit a game was one of my favorite narratives in a weird football season. This was right up there, and I think if you go watch that clip again, if you find it on Game Pass, it's the presence of this uh, gigantic, absurd Rams mascot the ringleader, if you will. Right, sandwiched in between all these cheerleaders trying to get, you know, just controlled chaos. So. I, it's like Charlie's I, Angels. Plus, <laughs> like, you could watch games for another hundred years and you may never hear this again. You still have We made the cheerleaders <laughs> off the field. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just, never just happened. perfect. Uh, Al and Chris taking us home in style. Uh, that's it for the show. You know, we, we missed Dan here at the end, but he will be back. On Tuesday, we'll be back on Thursday to preview all the Week 15 games, and uh, it keeps rolling on and on. It's the home stretch. We're here. We're this halfway through. The train is rolling. Get it over with. That Let's Tuesday show is going to have a 35-minute recap of Giants Eagles. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's uh, let's go home for Dan Handis, our host Erica Tamposi, Ryan Bartlett, Mark Sessler, Chris Wesseling, and me, the old boss. See you Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.